of the world. Hope, the eighth wonder of the world. There's a story of a young man who was uh, decided he wanted to get a raise from his boss. So he went into his boss, he said, sir, I've been here a while now and I, I feel like I need a raise. I'm, I'm asking for a raise. Uh, again, great sense of hope in his heart. And uh, he went on to say, now boss, I just need you to know that there are three companies that are after me right now. And so the boss goes, oh really? Well, I, you're a good guy and I don't want to lose you, so uh, I'll give you a 5% raise. The young man was very happy with that. He was excited. And so uh, on his way out of the office, he you know, thanked the boss and so on. The boss said, oh, son, by the way, uh, could you tell me the three companies that were after you? He said, yeah, the electric company, the gas company, and the water company. <laughs> How many of you can relate to that story? Uh, yes. Hope. What does that mean? It means to expect with confidence. To expect with confidence. And Jesus embodies that word, hope. And I want to show you four things about that word. And yes, it is an acronym. And yes, it's H-O-P-E. If you want to write that down in your sermon notes, you're certainly welcome to do that. Just put the letters H-O-P-E down the left side. Or if you're a Hebrew, put it on the right side, right backwards, that's fine too. But either way, I'm going to ask you to take a look at Luke chapter 4. Hope, such a powerful, powerful thing. Albert Einstein said, learn from yesterday, live for today, but hope for tomorrow. Learn from yesterday. Too many of us, I think, have fallen into the idea that I have to I have to try to forget yesterday and then we fear today because we're afraid that our past will be repeated. And so we function in fear and not hope. We constantly are trying to avoid the mistakes that we made and so we focus on mistakes rather than the potential for victory. And I'm going to, by the time we're done today, I'm hoping, oh, how appropriate. I'm hoping that you will get a new picture of what this word hope really means because it will carry you through every situation of life. Every situation of life. Hope is that powerful. To continue on with the Red Letter series, I want to, I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is... Uh, right after Jesus has returned from his time in the wilderness and dealing with Satan and the temptation of Satan. And so we're right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's about, to, uh, about to, to get this thing started. And uh, it's very interesting where he goes. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and unrolling it he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Talk about pressure. He reads this amazing passage of scripture that talks about a tremendous sense of hope. Although the word is never mentioned in this passage, it is filled with this idea of hope. Freedom. Healing, victory, blessing, opportunity. It's just filled with all of that. And so Jesus presents that and says, Today, this begins. And I am going to be the vessel through which this will flow. Get ready. For the next three years, he is going to impact the people of that area. He will never ever leave, he'll never be more than about a hundred miles at the very most from his hometown. And yet he will impact the entire world with a message of hope. Because you see, the message of the Pharisees was not hope, it was legalism, it was rules and regulation. And religions, the religions of the world, that's what basically they are. There's no real sense of hope there. When I was in college, I studied world religions. And one thing I discovered in all of them, other than Christianity, there's no hope. Why, should I, why would I want to follow this religion when there's no sense of hope? There's no sense of victory. There's no sense of, of really ever achieving a, a relationship with, with God. The other religions of the world seem to indicate that I have to I have to live in fear. I have to live in, in this realm of, of constantly hoping and, and personally hoping that I'm going to do it right. I think of the Hindus, 300 million gods. Where do I begin? Who do I make happy today? You know, if you live an average of 70 or 80 years, you're going to have to be pleasing thousands of gods every day. It's going to be tough to go to work. It's going to be tough to do anything. But to know that I can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, that I can be called his son or daughter, that's hope. That's powerful. Now, the word that Jesus shares out of Isaiah here talks about four things that I can see here. Number one is healing. Healing. How many of you have ever been sick? A couple of you are living in divine health. That's awesome. When we get sick, hope kicks in. We hope the doctor can figure this out. We hope that that medicine will work. We hope that we won't need surgery. We hope, we hope, we hope, we hope. And, and isn't it interesting that crisis usually brings us to hope, doesn't it? You know, if everything's going wonderful, it's like, well, I'm good. You know, I'm, everything's great. I don't need to worry about anything. But as soon as a crisis moment hits, hope begins to move in. And this is what moves us forward. Because when you lose hope, 
When hope is gone, you're done. You're done. Hope that has been destroyed, hope that has been obliterated in a person's life leads to severe depression, and severe depression can lead to death. And that's, that's what Satan is all about. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. What? What do you think it was that he came to steal, kill, and destroy? Hope. Because if he can take your hope, he has you. You're done. You're done. But Jesus brings a message of hope. And what are one of the, why, why did people follow Jesus all the time? What were they hoping he would do for them? Heal them. Bring healing. Thousands upon thousands of people would gather around him to listen to his words, but to watch him heal. Because it brought hope. I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. You have to understand there's three, there's three ways that we can be healed. Number one is medically. Doctors have a gift. Doctors can do things, but there's medical healing. There's medicine. Why do you think medicine works? Just lucky. No, God ordained our bodies to function in such a way that when you induce, introduce certain chemicals or certain, certain activities, that the body is then able to, to respond to that and heal itself. It's God's hand on your life. It's not evolution. It's not good fortune. It's not, you know, eating gluten-free. It's medically just the way it works. It can, it can work. Medical healing. Secondly, there's miraculous healing. We have people here in the audience today that are here because of miraculous healing. Jim Hammonds would be one example. Candace Machika is another example. Rex Lurson would be another example. People that have overcome amazing medical issues where doctors, well, you know, this is all we can do, so that's all we can do. And then God steps in and ministers healing. Last night, I forgot to acknowledge her, but Ann Pellegrino told me that she was in a service many years ago, and God literally straightened her spine in the middle of the service. He just went, how many of you realize God does chiropractic work? He just, literally, healed her of scoliosis of the spine. Just straightened that thing right out, just twisted it the way it needed to go, and that's a miracle. And she didn't even need insurance. Awesome. Miraculous healing. And then the third kind of healing is permanent. There's permanent healing. When you leave this earth, you are permanently healed. You'll never be sick again. Ever. If you're a doctor, you're going to be out of business when you get to heaven. You're done. Permanent healing. But you see, each one of those offers a tremendous sense of hope. Jesus said he came to to restore the sight to the blind. Not only, I don't think not just physically blind, but spiritually blind as well. See, there's tremendous healing in knowing Christ. There's such a great sense of hope. To know that I can, this life of mine that I struggle with, I can have my sins forgiven and know spiritual healing. Greatest example of this, remember the story of the men that so desperately wanted their friend healed that they, they put him on a 
on a mat of some sort or a blanket, took four ropes, carried him in, we're going to carry him into the house where Jesus was, realized we can't get in there, that's not going to work. So these four men become very creative. Try to put yourself in the position of the man that is sick, that is laying there crippled. His friends say, come on, we're going to take you to see Jesus, and we're going to see if Jesus will heal you. And he's excited. The hope is rising. And they get there, and the friends go, we, we can't get in there. That's impossible. They won't move. People won't move. We're stuck. What are we going to do? Hope begins to dwindle in this man's heart. And then one of the men goes, hey, I have an idea. <laughs> Follow me. And they go up on top of the roof. And Jesus is speaking, and all of a sudden, dirt is falling down on top of him. <laughs> what in the... Oh. Okay. And this, the, the hole in the roof gets bigger and bigger, and the owner of the house is going, I don't have insurance for this. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this man, be, this man, as he's being taken up on top of the roof, he's thinking, what in the world are these guys going to do? And the hole gets bigger and bigger, and he realizes they're going to let him down in front of Jesus. And I love how Jesus handles surprises. The man is lowered down in front of them. He's surrounded by not just the average person, but also Pharisees and religious leaders and so on. And they're going, what is he going to do now? And what, the first thing Jesus says to this man is what? Your sins are forgiven. Spiritual healing. Oh yeah, and by the way, take up your bed and walk. And the religious leaders, instead of being excited for this man's healing, what are they into? Time out, hold it. You can't tell him his sins are forgiven. I mean, who gives you that authority? What are you thinking? And Jesus, is, he responds with a question. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Yeah, well, I'm not sure how to answer that. But this man's hope, because of the hope in the lives of some other men, provides him with healing. And he walks out of there. You think the people may have gotten out of his way when he, got, when he grabbed his bed and said, excuse me, I got to go. Spiritual and physical healing. Tremendous, tremendous miracle. Number two, opportunities. Opportunities. You see, with Jesus comes the hope of transformed lives. The hope of transformed lives. New opportunities. I take you to the story of the woman caught in adultery. She has been caught in the very act. I'm guessing middle of the afternoon maybe. She is probably quickly just wrapped in a, in a sheet or robe of some sort and she's dragged out into the public. And they, they find Jesus and they stand her in front of him. And the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, say, Jesus, we have caught this woman in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses states that she is to be stoned. What do you say? These men really didn't care, I don't think, about this woman. 
they, were, they cared about trapping Jesus. Because if he simply said, you know, I'm greater than the law of Moses, I'm changing the rules, the people would have been, they would have never followed him. Had he said, you're right, the law of Moses is true. Go ahead, stoner. He, is, he had already broken laws of Moses because he was claiming to be the Messiah and so on. So he was, he was caught. He was caught. But imagine this woman. Again, take life from her perspective. Her hope was over. She had been caught in a lifestyle that she had probably... I'm sure this wasn't the first time. She has been brought into the public square and she is now preparing herself to die. Think about it. Hope is gone. I'm done. As she looks around, she sees all these men with stones ready to start throwing them. She's preparing herself. I'm sure her face is down. She is covering herself up. She is ashamed beyond words. And now she waits for the first stone. And then all of a sudden she hears Jesus. She sees him write something in the sand, and there's been all kinds of speculation about that. But then all of a sudden she hears him speak. And I have a feeling that Jesus spoke very calmly and very quietly. And he simply looked up at these men and he said, Let he that is without sin cast the first stone. And then the woman stood and waited. All of a sudden she can hear, thud, thud. Thud, thud. Instead of feeling the stones hitting her body, she hears them hitting the ground. Boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden, she's looking around and seeing her accusers disappearing, walking away. Hope is beginning to rise. Where it once was dead, it's just been resurrected. Jesus is about to give her an opportunity to change her life forever. And then he says to her, where are your accusers? They're gone. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And then Jesus went on about his business. And I have to believe that she became a follower of Christ from that moment on. Because Jesus gave her the opportunity with hope renewed to transform her life. The woman at the well. She had relational train wreck after relational train wreck, divorced five times and living with someone. And Jesus brings hope into her life. I'm going to give you living water. I'm the Messiah. She turns, she goes from being, again, opportunity. From being a woman that lives in shame and despair, she turns into what? An evangelist. The entire town is impressed. The entire town comes out to hear and, to, and see this man that just spoke to her and told her everything she'd ever done. And they believed. 
The Bible tells us that they listened and they heard and they believed because she had a new opportunity. Quickly, Zacchaeus, this little squirt of a uh, tax collector. I mean, this guy had so many issues, short, tax collector, just problems. That's why I'm not a tax collector, I'm way too tall. But a tax collector, a a deceiver, a liar, a cheater, a manipulator. I want to see Jesus. Climbs into a tree, he's looking up. Jesus stops and gives him an opportunity. There's hope. All of a sudden rises in Zacchaeus' little heart. He says, Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm going to come to your house. Now, I'm sure Zacchaeus initially thought, Jesus is coming to my house. Little did he realize that his hope would be renewed and an opportunity for him to transform his life. The Bible says that today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus, his life was transformed because Jesus brought new hope. Prior to this, I think Zacchaeus' hope was, was based on, you know, making money. Taking money from the people. Filling his pockets. Preparing for retirement. Jesus comes along, transforms his life with an opportunity to do what? To give. A tax collector that gives. That is insane. That's a miracle. Opportunity. The letter P. Peace. Hope brings peace. And I, I, have a, I have a very strange definition of peace. I don't, I, think, I don't think I've ever heard this before, but I believe the Holy Spirit kind of laid this on my heart. Actually, I was in a class, in an ethics class, and this came to, just the idea popped into my head, and I thought, this is amazing. Do you know what peace is? Peace is the absence of choices. Think about it. If you were completely taken care of, you didn't have to think about clothing, food, retirement, sickness, pain, suffering. If that was all eliminated, would you be at peace? For sure. You know what another word for that is? Heaven. 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 I've come to the realization that The reason that we call two-year-olds the terrible twos is because they have discovered the power of choice. (laughs) Yeah, Mary, your day's coming. They will discover, because see, right now Joshua eats what you give him, right? He wears what you pick. He lives where you live. He does whatever you want. Those days are changing. (laughs) By the time a child is two years old, they've discovered some very powerful abilities. No. Come on, let's eat your cereal. No. You've always eaten this. It's good stuff. No, it's not. (laughs) 
Okay, time to get dressed. I'm not wearing that. It's like 10 below zero. I want to wear shorts today. Not. There, a, a, a battle begins to rage. Why? Because that little creature <laughs> has discovered choice. I can start to pick. So how do you eliminate that? Take away all possibility of choice. Don't feed them. Don't clothe them. <laughs> make them live outside. <laughs> Just give them a few hours of that experience and see how that transforms their life. Okay, I'll eat it. Okay, I'll wear that choice. We're, in, we're just overwhelmed by it. You know, today, what are we going to have for lunch? Where are we going to go to eat lunch? You're going to drive by a hundred restaurants. Then you got to pick one. And then you wander in there and they're going to hand you a piece of paper with a hundred choices. What am I going to eat today? You know, I'm amazed at, at many countries of the world that don't have the affluence we have and we love America because it's the land of choice, the land of the freedom of choice. I get to pick. I get to pick whatever. True peace only comes when I begin to say, God, you pick. Heavenly Father, you pick. Jesus, you choose. We got a, when we got married, Linda and I got a plaque that said, God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. Great, great saying. Great, great idea. And I, I've shared probably this story before, but I remember when I was in college and I was going through the idea of finding a wife. There's an exciting challenge. And I, you know, I dated a few and had a girlfriend in high school and that, that ended and dated a few more girls. I, and then I finally, I just, I prayed this prayer. God, no more dating, you pick. And so then the Lord opens up this door of opportunity for Linda and I to, to meet each other and so on. I'm going, God, I, I live in Ann Armour, Michigan. She lives in Chicago. There's nobody closer? <laughs> Lord goes, uh, no. <laughs> All right, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. And so 40 years later, God, like I said, God gives the best to those that leave the choice to him. Let peace begin to rule and reign in your hearts when, when you begin to place all of your hope and all of your trust in God. Let him make the decision. God has done that in our lives took us to Indiana. I have no idea. I, apparently, I was in great sin, and he had to punish me for some reason. It was my seven years in the backside of the desert, so I'm good now. No, it was the greatest experience of all. It was a great experience down there. I learned so many great lessons from the Lord about trust and about provision and about hope and so on. And then he brought us back to Chicago, and I'm thinking, oh, what have I done? Um, but again, that was a tremendous experience, and the Lord opened the door for me to come to Christian life. That's been nearly 20 years ago. Whoa, I'm old. 
But you see, when you begin to transfer that decision-making into the hands of God, peace begins to settle in. Because, you, because here's what happens. When I let God pick, it's his responsibility to make it work. Amen? Not mine, his. And that's where peace comes from. Hope is a source of peace. Because I begin to hope in the Lord. And he grants me his peace. And then finally, eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus said he was going to preach good news to the poor. There is no greater news than to know that I will live in the provision of God for eternity. No poor people in heaven. No rich people in heaven either. Because they can't get in. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but Jesus did say it was tough. Not impossible, but yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge. Uh, and it, the reason being is they put their hope in their wealth, not in Christ. That becomes a challenge. The more comfortable you become here, the less you want to go to heaven. The more uncomfortable you are here, the more exciting heaven appears. That's hope. That's where hope comes from. Now, Peter, I want you to turn to, uh, to the book of Peter, 1 Peter, um, just quickly here, because Peter talks about this issue of hope. He talks a lot about hope, uh, and uh, I think it's just fascinating. I just want to read a couple of verses from this and give you this perspective of eternal life. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, eternal life, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. It's coming. Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. We've got to focus our attention on healing, on opportunities, on peace, and on eternal life. I don't care what the world says. You know, these doomsday people just drive me crazy. Oh, you got to get guns and food and silver, gold. You got to load up your basement. Do you know the first people that are going to get robbed? <laughs> Once the word gets out, you're done. <laughs> I mean, I just assume they walk by my house because there ain't nothing in there. That's one of them Christians. He thinks all his gold's upstairs. Bingo. It is. We pave the streets with it. We're good. I just, I, I grow weary of even Christians that will, will speak this kind of stuff. I mean, come on. Where's the hope in that? Well, I hope I got enough guns. I hope I got enough ammo. I hope I got enough silver. I hope I got enough food. That's not hope. That's stupidity. 
All right, I'm done with that. Okay, verse 21. Throw him, through him rather, through, throw him, through him. You believe in God who raised him from the dead, glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. That's the secret. That's the key. Hope. It's such an awesome, awesome word. Hope. You see, today, when we finish here in just a moment, we're going into the gymnasium, and we'll be packing meals, because you see, each one of those packets brings hope to children. It's hope. It's health. It's nourishment. So as you're in there packing these meals, realize that you are providing hope to some kids that I believe, is that an orphanage over there? Yeah, so it's children in an orphanage that when, you, when, when we do that, we are telling them, have hope, take hope. People, not even in your neighborhood, care enough about you to make sure that you are fed. That generates hope. It's, it's, in, it's in the process. And it gives these children opportunity. It brings peace to them. And I guarantee you they have heard about eternal life. Amen? They've got the gospel coming their way. And so that's part of the process. Let me share with you a closing story here. A group of geography students studied the seven wonders of the world, and at the end of that section, the students were asked to list what they thought were considered to be the present seven wonders of the world. There was a little bit of disagreement, but the following got the most votes. Egypt's Great Pyramids, the Taj Mahal, the Grand Canyon, Panama Canal, the Empire State Building, St. Peter's Basilica, and China's Great Wall. While gathering the votes, the teacher noted that one student, a quiet girl, hadn't turned in her paper yet, so she asked the girl if she was having trouble with her list. The quiet girl replied, yes, a little. I couldn't quite make up my mind because there were so many. And the teacher said, well, tell us what you have and maybe we can help. The girl hesitated and then she began to read. I think the seven wonders of the world are to touch, to taste, to see, to hear, to feel, to laugh, to love, and my eighth, to hope. The room was so full of silence it was deafening. It's far too easy for us to look at the exploits of man and refer to them as wonders while we overlook all God has done for us regarding them as merely ordinary. The wonders of the world are not merely what man has put together, but what God has given to each one of us. And in that, we find hope. 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 There's an old hymn that I loved from when I was a little kid. And it has these amazing words. If you know it, sing along with me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And my favorite verse, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Well, I've had fun this morning. I hope you have. Praise the name of the Lord. Hope. Hope. Peter says that we are to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Is it be ready to give a reason for the theology that's in you? Be ready to give a reason for the, all the Bible verses you've remembered. Be ready to give a reason for the church you attend. No, he said for the hope, the hope that is in you. Because it heals, it provides opportunity, it brings peace, and it shares with us eternal life. Jesus, the hope of glory. Before we close today and uh, move on to our opportunity to bring some hope to some kids, I'm going to ask the ushers if they would come. Uh, the first Sunday of every uh, month, normally Communion Sunday, we take a benevolence offering, and this is your opportunity to, uh, to again, give a little more hope to some people that might be struggling financially. And uh, again, we all need money to function, and it, uh, it, can be, it can bring a real source of hope to people if they know they can come to the church and, and we, we are able and capable of helping them because of your generosity. So we ask you to help us with that. Ushers, if you'll come, if you're ready. 
please do that. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Katie Bueno if she would come and join me. We've got some announcements to share with you this morning as well before we leave. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, for Jesus and all the red letter words that we've been hearing about. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of great hope that comes into our lives. And now, Father, help us to instill a little bit of hope in the lives of people that may need an extra hand up this week or this month, whenever. But, Father, thank you. Bless each one that gives. Bless it back to them. And may you use them as a vessel of honor and blessing in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, This is Katie Bueno. Everybody say hi, Katie. Okay, well. Go right ahead. Okay. So, again, I'm Katie Bueno, and I wanted to invite all the women here, young and seasoned, to come to a women's breakfast that we're having seasoned. Seasoned. Oh, Oh, good. good. With lots of wisdom. Um, so we're going to have a women's breakfast, and it's going to be Saturday, June, or not June 10th, May 10th, so next Saturday from 9 to 12. Uh, June Evans is going to be speaking on Free to Be Me, so I think it's a topic in identity that every woman can relate to and could benefit from. So bring your friends, bring your family, sisters, cousins. My mom's coming, some of my sisters are coming, so we wanted to invite all of you. The cost is $10, and please sign up in the lobby with either myself or Jerry Oleski. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Katie. I'm good. <laughs> Ladies, let me really encourage you to take, take advantage of this opportunity because June Evans has a way of instilling hope in ladies. She's weird, but she has an ability. <laughs> she is she's something else. You cannot miss this woman. So God, God help you all. Poke your husband or gentleman next to you and say, hey, I need 10 bucks. Don't come and ask me, though. I'm good. All right. The other thing, gentlemen, uh, let me draw your attention. In the lobby, you'll find these cards uh, coming uh, May the 25th, Sunday the 25th. Ted DiBiase will be back. Uh, There's the big picture. Uh, He will be back to minister, and uh, the men are going to do something a little bit different that day. We are going to, after church, go to Black Fin. The restaurant choice has already been made, so that's out of there. Uh, it'll be $15 per man. It's at Randhurst Village. It'll be an opportunity for you to meet and speak with Ted DiBiase and ask him some more questions or allow him to give you a little more insight into uh, how God has transformed his life. It's been several years ago now, but uh, his life was a disaster. His marriage was a disaster. He was a mess. He came to the altar at an Ascension Convention, rededicated his life to Christ, and was never the same after that. He found Jesus, who offered him a sense of hope and transformed his life at that Ascension Convention. So men, grab some of these cards, uh, invite some friends. This is a great event to uh, invite a, uh, an unbeliever, an unbelieving friend to come to church and uh, check out Ted DiBiase. All right, uh, it's almost time to go and uh, pack some food. So if you would stand with me and receive the blessing of the Lord and uh, go enjoy your day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you 
peace. Peace. Yes, Lord, we receive it. Father, fill us with a fresh anointing of hope and then help us to go and share that hope with people that are in a hopeless world. We thank you, God, for the blessings of life and the joy of future eternal life, and we thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you, and uh, again, join those in the gym if you're able, and otherwise have a great, great day. Thanks for being here.